Hi folks, this is Gary and welcome to another edition of What's Next Now, Maximizing Your Human Strengths to Build Your Business. For those of you who subscribe and listen to What's Next Now regularly, or if you're a first-time listener, you are all in for a treat today. I can pretty much promise you that this conversation will be filled with love and laughter because today my guest is a leader in the high technology space, a friend, and also someone who I previously worked for. And by the way, it isn't always easy to stay friends with someone who you previously worked for. So we've been able to pull that off. Please welcome to the show, Karen Terrell. Hey, Karen. Hi, Gary. Honored <laughs> to be here. It's uh, it's kind of a dream come true of mine to have you since I started What's Next Now. I thought that you're one of the people who I really want to have on the show because of the journeys that we've been through together. And I thought, how long have we known each other? Has it been like 20 years, maybe, I'm thinking? It will be next June. I keep count. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's been 19 years. Wow. Yeah. It's been great. It's been great. I remember I was on vacation with my family in Virginia Beach, Virginia, and uh, I had to come I had to come off of the beach to talk to a recruiter because I was finishing my negotiating with you to join Crystal Decisions to be part of your team at Crystal Decisions, which is now part of SAP. And wow. I remember it too. I remember it was like it was yesterday. I knew within five minutes I wanted to hire you, but I wanted to test you a bit. So <laughs> you 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 wanted you wanted to push me and uh, and and see what see what I was made of. So yeah, but uh, I did that too of, over the years. But yeah, yeah it's been and, great. Yeah, nineteen years, Gary. It's been awesome. Nineteen years. That's fantastic. Well, enough about me, Karen. Let's start with let's start with you. Let's start at the beginning. And I want to ask you this, how different is where you are now as president U.S. public sector open text? Pretty, pretty cool, Karen. How different is that in your career to the image that you had, like if you even had an image when you got out of college or after your first one or two jobs early on, did you picture yourself? Did you plan on being where you are? Oh boy. So this might be a recurring theme, uh, I didn't picture any of it. I, <laughs> I, you're probably gonna. It's probably not the last time you hear that today. Uh, I, no, I didn't really have any idea. I was not one of those people, you know, that I envy who grew up knowing knowing exactly what they wanted to do. You know, like a doctor or something. Mm -hmm. um, I knew that I wanted this. I did know. I wanted to be a professional woman with really good shoes. <laughs> yeah. I think you've you've accomplished that and oh maybe a little bit more, I think. Yeah, but I had no idea. You know, my, my father actually had been a chemical salesman and so I'd been exposed to to sales, generally speaking. Um, but it never occurred to me that I would end up doing something either in high tech or uh in sales itself. So wow. it's so different from it. but but it is it's different, but only from the nothingness that was in my brain about what I might do in my future <laughs> professional woman and shoes and then somehow you leverage that into high-tech sales wow that's i i just want to ask you because i know that you worked at dupont early in your career which i always thought was so cool and i just made a connection that your dad did you say he was a chemical engineer yeah, he was actually a chemical salesman um, for chemical. his entire career. Wow. Yeah, but not at DuPont. He was at Allied Chemical 
you know, a hundred years ago. And uh, no, I think it was something about the traveling salesman. And, you know, in those days you, you got in your Grand Torino and you drove all over the Eastern seaboard or whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, it's different, you know, high tech is obviously different too, but um, yeah, DuPont was really interesting company. A lot of people still ask me, did you know my cousin, Bob? (laughs) No. One of 700 Bobs who worked at DuPont. Why was DuPont, why was it so interesting working there? What, what was it about it? Well, I had, uh, it's more, maybe not more interesting, but I had one of my very first jobs out of college, actually, my, my second job, which is on my LinkedIn and on my resume, which is a company called Group Systems. Right. I was doing sales support, which was, you know, administration for a bunch of sales guys that were out in the field and uh, like send collateral here or merge this, you know, mail list right. or whatever. And uh, I, one of the sales guys was a guy by the name of Don Araldi. And he, years later, after we'd worked together for probably five or six years, years later, he called me up and he said, I've got, would you be interested? I've got an opportunity for you. And he said, I, I actually put my own hat in the ring, but they said they wanted somebody who knew federal. And, and Don said, I told them, if you want somebody who knows federal, you have to call Karen. And uh, I, I credit him with that opportunity, but I actually worked with him at three different places. And, uh, and one of those was DuPont. And it was it was really a professional services sale. DuPont mm. happens to be the safest industrial company in the world. Mm. So uh, in terms of incidents in their plants, um, it's they, they have a whole culture and a methodology around uh, industrial safety. And we sold that intellectual property as a professional service. And it was fun. Oh, wow. It was strange, but it was fun. That's so cool. Selling that that internal process as a service that people would pay for to replicate into their own environment. That's right. That's how I came to own hard hats and steel-toed shoes and went to the Winnebago plants and meat processing plants and all I'm kinds of I'm just trying to picture that. Now, I'm sure that your early vision of professional woman, woman with shoes, that must not have included steel-toed shoes, but maybe you did. It I mean, did. I was, was open to it. <laughs> you were open to it to all, all sorts of things. Wow. That's um, the other thing that's so cool. And I don't know if we've ever talked about this before, but we have in common that both of our fathers, my father, may he rest in peace, um, were traveling salesmen and uh, bore great influence on each of us respectively in our careers, I think. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And, and, and may, may my father rest in peace as well. And, mm. uh, and agreed. Yeah. I mean, in fact, my, my father had such a profound influence on every aspect of my life that, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the career part of it is probably the smallest. It's, it's much bigger than that, as, as I'm sure yours was too. Mm-hmm. If you think about one thing that your father left indelibly upon you that spans both your career and your personal life, what comes to mind? I think it's, well, the first, whenever, and I think of, of my dad, I think of the word integrity. And, and frankly, I, I, I did the eulogy at his father's funeral, and I did the eulogy at his funeral, which was just about a year ago. And uh, in, in both of those, I was able to really pin the entire eulogy around that word integrity, because it's a big word, it means a lot, but I think it has a lot to do with uh, leadership um, because it's a, a, you know, it's a precious, but it's an intangible quality. 
Mm -hmm. uh, in leadership is, is having integrity, a sense of rightness, you know, like uh, when to advance and when to pause and when to mm -hmm. criticize and when to praise. And, mm -hmm. um, but he, he always had a strong, what I, what I call a moral compass. He, which isn't to say it was, everything was black and white or that he was always right, but he always had a sense of what was right for him and righteousness. And I think he, he instilled the notion of that in us, but also gave us some great skills to actually practice it and mm -hmm. learn our own guts. Mm, God, what a gift he gave you. That's just, yeah, ah, it's literally breathtaking for a couple minutes here. Um, I wonder in your own life, in your life as a leader, if you, as you've progressed through your career, Karen, I've experienced you lead with integrity because I worked for you for, I was, I don't know what it was, two or three years. I can't remember. Um, but it's 22 years. <laughs> it <laughs> seemed like that. It definitely seemed like I was there. For, I think I cost you enough grief and heartache for at least to have felt like 10 times what it was. Not true. But, um, we had some great times. I, I wonder, as you've progressed as a leader, and now you're a leader of other leaders, a leader of other managers, how do you or can you even teach integrity to people? Do you feel like they have it or can you model it and help people progress along their own self in that way? Uh, not really. <laughs> <laughs> I, love your honesty. I always have loved your honesty. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I do think that a lot of it is dependent on a person's core, the kind of person that they are at their core. And, mm -hmm. uh, I think, you know, I always try to command, if that's a thing that I do, I don't think about it that way, but command by conscience. Um, and that asserts itself much more by commitment and example than it does by directive. And so, uh, you know, integrity recognizes, you know, certainly external obligations, but it also, you know, it sort of listens to the quiet voice within rather than the clamor without. And I think that that is you know, I've paid attention to that. I've listened to myself for a long time. And I think I have had people in my career tell me that they've watched me lead and they've taken my cue and they've learned from, from that. But it's all about, you know, what's in, what comes naturally to me, but it can be a learned skill. It's just not something I have ever consciously tried to teach someone. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Gotcha. When you think about the things that you've learned that on your path from going to from groupware to um, to DuPont to the other places that you stopped at, you know, at SAS, where you're a vice president of, of federal operations and vice president of sales, and then Adobe, where you were president of public sector, vice president of public sector. What are some of the key things that that you've picked up from others that people have been able to share with you that have informed your own progression as a leader? Well, a lot, you know, I, I, I am a student of other leaders and, and other people, and I am powerfully curious about people. That's mm. the, one of the other things that you and I have in common is that we're sort of insatiably curious about a lot of things about, the people around us about what we're doing, about how we can learn and how, how we can be better and expand. And, uh, and so I have been a student in all of my jobs, not only of the people above me, uh, but on my team and my peers. And so, I, I mean, it's, a, it's an endless pursuit of understanding myself through others and being self-aware, <laughs> recognizing, but also recognizing, you know, I don't want to be like that. 
or I would really like to be like that. And then, you know, learning to emulate the, those things, but there's, I learn every single day. And I don't mean just, you know, because the new the company I'm at now, OpenText, has hundreds and hundreds of products. I learn, you know, all those things. But I also learn about, you know, how to lead and how not to lead and 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 I study it. So it's mm. that's that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's that is a lot. And it sounds like you keep yourself engaged in learning because of a a high curiosity, a high thirst for learning. And you also have a lot of stimulation around you from your company and certainly from the industry that you're in. For for women who are newer in their career in the industry, maybe the first three to seven years of their career, if you look back on how you kind of, through your learning, through your curiosity, through your ambition, you know, how you moved up, what would be one or two things that you would offer to them if you were giving... Um, you know, a TED talk right now? Hmm. I think, I think first is that there is no substitute for hard work and that, that doesn't have to be, uh, you know, endless hours. It's, it's not about, you know, you have to be a smart worker, um, but there is no substitute for it. You have to put in the hard work. And sometimes that does mean extra hours. Sometimes that does mean uh, learning something inside and out so that you gain confidence around it. But there's just nothing else that, that takes mm. the place of that thing. You have to have a strong work ethic and you have to work hard. And I think for women in particular, I think also that uh, being your own advocate is not something that I believe comes naturally to a lot of women. And we hear that, you know, we hear that in uh, in the workplace a lot, especially these days when we're talking about diversity in the workplace and and, and women as a component of that. And uh, that, that women in general don't advocate as strongly on their own behalf because they have other motivations, uh, usually, uh, as men do. And so I think that being conscious in your first, you know, three to seven and, you know, 30 plus years in my case, <laughs> being your, you know, you can't wait for somebody else to come in and fix something for you or negotiate on your behalf or realize that you've been taken advantage of. You've always have to be self-aware and conscious of that um, more so than I think our, our male peers do. Uh, and then I think, uh, forget about the fact that you're a woman. You know, I, I get it. I get asked it a lot. When I went to Adobe, I was the first female vice president in worldwide field operations, which is uh, the largest group inside of the company. You know, it's like R&D and all those other So there were women in human resources and marketing and so forth that had achieved that title. But I was right. the first one in worldwide field operations, which is sales and pre-sales and post-sales and all that. And uh, all the time people would come up to me and say, congratulations for being the first few. And uh, I, I was stunned because I thought, right. first of all, that, you know, diversity equals women was sort of the lowest bar. Um, and second, I felt like, and I, and I don't mean to disparage Adobe in any way, because they would say the same thing. I felt like it was kind of an embarrassment. Like it, sh I, it shouldn't be 2017 and I'm the first female vice president. And I have always conducted myself where I'm interested in diversity of thought, but I really don't care at the end of the day if you're male or female, if you're black or white or anything. I want the best people for the job mm -hmm. and you should too. And, mm -hmm. and so the whole woman, like, so do those first two things, work really hard, be your own advocate, and then forget that you're a woman and, and just go about your business is what I would say. 
God, <laughs> I I got nothing to add to that. I just I just think that's there. It is, man. I'm gonna let it hang out there. Okay. I hope it made I, sense. <laughs> it did make sense, you know, um, because the the work ethic thing I think is irreplaceable. And some people grow up in an environment where that's modeled for them, and they see that and they get that. And clearly, I think you and I both benefited from fathers who showed that to us. And then what I love about the next thing that you said is you want the best thing that you can get from anybody. You want the best result. And it doesn't matter their skin color or their gender, their transgender, what organization they affiliate with, their ethnicity. We're looking for the best, the best solution, the best product that we can get. So that's right. It's exactly right. Forget the fact that you're a woman and don't necessarily try and use that as, you know, a DEI um, wedge in some fashion. hundred percent. You know, I never, I, I never wanted to get a job because I was a woman. I don't know any women that do. And we also don't want to be treated any differently, which isn't to say that I'm not conscious of it. You know, I mean, there are, there are, you know, awkward circumstances in a, in a, what is still a male dominated world. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> I want, I mentioned to you earlier today, mm-hmm. but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's worthy of recording, but well, yeah, yeah, I think that's, I think that's actually a really relevant story, you know, because I, was going to ask you, like, how do you get along in the boys club, so to speak, in that sort of environment? You're at a level now in corporate America where I, I have to imagine, I won't presume, but I have to imagine you've kind of run into that. And I was hoping you would just share one little anecdote about, you know, how do you finesse it and, and how do you drive through it? Oh, Gary, 100% of how I drive through it with a, is with a sense of humor. And that comes naturally to, to me as well. I find, you know, if... I find most, you know, of the awkward situations to actually be, you know, belly laughter, you know, <laughs> funny, like, uh, and, and it's just, it's just a natural inclination. What I, what we're alluding to is that earlier today, I joined a conference call with uh, some of my peers, uh, all male. And uh, when I joined and I was, you know, maybe 30 or 60 seconds late at the top of the hour, they were engrossed in a conversation about their latest proctologist exam. And, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and there's my face that shows up, you know, on the Microsoft Teams. And I was like, hi, hi, uh, here, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, wait, it got well, quiet fast, Gary. It got real quiet fast, <laughs> which I found as funny. <laughs> yeah, I guess I was going to ask you where. So, like, where was the humor in that situation? I guess it, the humor came from the awkwardness. Um, uh, I, 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 you know, I guess maybe a line would have been, "Well, have you guys ever wondered what it's like for a woman at a audition?" <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, eventually we have to go as well. Uh, yeah, it just wasn't. So. No, I didn't go there. I'm, I'm still new, Gary. At, at <laughs> I thought I'd save that for later. Maybe meet one of these guys in person. Yeah, yeah, that's not today. Probably more appropriate. Um, I, I do just want to ask you, uh, in the world of working from home, you know, that we're all in right now, and people living, people hearing this podcast three, five years down the road will. You know, can look at it historically and gain some perspective. But um, how are you coping in onboarding people, new people joining your team, probably people who report to you who've never met before? What has that been like for you? So weird. <laughs> 
Uh, so, yeah. so weird because, you know, in my last two jobs where I was a leader of a large group of people, I was always in the office every day or I was on the road with a, you know, with a traveling team. Uh, and so it, it, for me, it was high touch. And I don't, I don't mean that necessarily physically, but, you know, in-person touch. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot of energy that I get from that. And a, a video actually is a good substitute. It's not terrible. It's not like just a telephone line. It's, uh, mm-hmm. it's pretty good, especially the technology technology that we have today. Um, and, and, but what I found Gary is that even though it's, 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 it's weird. Uh, there are lots and lots of people on my team who I've never met in person. I still feel like I know them. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I do have a high-touch management style, which is different from leadership, but a high-touch management, which is that um, a very long time ago, and I tell this story sometimes, I, I got a promotion and I was pretty full of myself. I was really excited. And I decided I was going to do an all-hands meeting. And I had planned the all-hands meeting with the three or four people that I worked closest with on a daily basis, my direct reports. And and uh, it had, I was probably a month and maybe a month and a half. And a lot of people were co-located with me. Uh, and I, we did this all hands. And there's like this moment where I like sort of walk across the stage and I go to the podium. And, you know, if I could brush off my shoulders, I'm so proud of me, you know. And I'm uh, standing there and I look out at the audience and maybe there's 120 people or something like that at the time. And uh, the only three people that I recognize are the people that report directly to me. And I had this, like, even just now I can feel it in my gut. I was devastated because I, I felt so disconnected from this group Mm. of people that I was supposed to now lead. And so Mm. in every job since then, I conduct not only annual, not only in the very beginning when I join a company, but also sometimes quarterly and annually, I touch base one-on-one with people and I get to know them because I'm, I'm, I am really curious about them um, because I'm fascinated by people and what drives them and how they got here and what's bugging them and what can I do to help them and Mm. all those kinds of things. And so there's the, there's the high touch side of me that I am still able to do, even though we're not in the same room physically. I have lots of phone calls, but I also have to be careful because we have, uh, you know, we have a lot on our minds as leaders around burnout. Because mm-hmm. uh, as you know, and I'm, and I know you've explored this, but there's really no start and end to our workday anymore. You know, there's no, there's not even a commute anymore where I uh-huh. listen to my music. Right. Uh, And so you have to you have to strike a balance somehow to create, you know, word you used, I think, recently with me, which is intimacy with both your customers and your team. But also, you got to give them some space and let them breathe just just like you need to breathe. Right. Right. That's so good that you work that into to your repertoire with people and it makes them feel cared for, uh, which everybody needs these days. Uh, yeah, but Gary, I mean, if they think it's about them, you know, I guess that's good. It's not, you know, it's about both of us and, and being a team together. And, you know, I get, uh, you know, it's like you, like any mentor relationship too. You get as much out of it as a mentor as you do as a mentee, probably more. And, uh, and that's the way I feel about these conversations and these connections that I make with people. It's like, I will never again stand in front of a group of even one people that I lead that I don't know anything about. Can't do it. Well, now I know. Now I know something more and additional about you, Karen. It is super important. You must have a connection with people who you lead. Everybody in your organization. You are super curious, and you will make that happen because you place a really high value on that. So that's uh, that's great. Well, we've come to that point where I have to ask you this pinnacle question, Karen. What's next now for Karen? <laughs> 
And Gary and everybody who might be listening, I knew this was coming and I'm still speechless. I, I told him, I told him, I just, you know, and, and that's why I said at the beginning, when you, when you asked me about what I had envisioned about my career, um, you know, the, the, the good news and the bad news is that I didn't have a vision. Yeah. I kind of went with the flow and I was lucky yeah. and I worked hard and I yeah. created some opportunities and I landed in some great opportunities. Yeah. And, uh, you know, my what's next now is I just started here at Open Tech. And it's it is a different job for me. It's a different position because I'm actually building a, a public sector team where there wasn't one. Mm. And so um, it's really keeping my mind and my and my soul fully nourished with my curiosity. And uh, you know, I, I see me continuing with this for several years because I'm having the time of my life. I mean, it's just a ball. But retirement's not that far away. And uh, so I don't know if there's another gig like this after it or if there's some other thing that's awaiting me. But I like to go with the flow. I'm all, yeah. I'll keep you posted, Gary. Good, good, Karen. We'll be checking back in with you. We'll be watching you, Karen. We'll we'll be following you. We we know that curiosity, shoes, professional women, integrity, curiosity, knowing all of your people, uh, these are important things to you. And Karen, listening minds want to know. So we will we we will be keeping up with you. Uh, it's just so awesome to talk to you and I'm privileged to have met you and worked for you and consider you to be a really close friend. And And thanks for being on the show today, Karen. It's just great having you. That, you know, I wish I could talk for 10 minutes about how great you are, Gary, and what a pivotal part of my life you've been. Um, because I, you may have worked for me, but we worked together and we were a great yeah. team and I would do it again. And thanks for the opportunity to talk about myself as uncomfortable <laughs> as it is for a couple of minutes. So this has been a, a real joy. Thank you. Yep, great. Thanks for thanks for being on, Karen. Talk to you soon. Bye. <laughs> yeah.